the hindu religion reconstruction modern hinduism of two old faiths essays on the religions of the hindus and the mohammedans by marie mitchell and william muir this librivox recording is in the public domain read by scientilla dodempudi dallas texas may 2018 the hindu religion reconstruction modern hinduism but the hinduism that grew up as buddhism faded from indian soil was widely different from the system with which early buddhism had contended hinduism as it has been developed during the last thousand or 1200 years resembles a stupendous far extended building or series of buildings which is still receiving additions while portions have crumbled and are crumbling into ruin every conceivable style of architecture from the top the stately palace to the meanest hut is comprehended in it on a portion of the structure here or there the eye may rest with pleasure but as a whole it is an unsightly almost monstrous pile or dismissing figures we must describe it as the most extraordinary creation which the world has seen a jumble of all things polytheistic pantheism much of buddhism something apparently of christianity but terribly disfigured a science wholly outrageous shreds of history twisted into wild mythology the bold poetry of the old books understood as literal prose any local deity any demon of the aborigines however hideous identified with some accredited hindu divinity any custom however repugnant to common sense or common decency accepted and explained in a word later hinduism has been omnivorous it has partially absorbed and assimilated every system of belief every form of worship with which it has come in contact only to one or two things has it remained inflexibly true it has steadily upheld the proudest pretensions of the brahman and it has never relaxed the sternest restrictions of caste we cannot wonder at the severe judgment pronounced on hinduism by nearly every western author according to macaulay all is hideous and grotesque and ignoble and the calmer de tocqueville maintains that hinduism is perhaps the only system of belief that is worse than having no religion at all when a modern hindu is asked what are the sacred books of his religion he generally answers the vedas the shastras that is philosophical systems and the puranas some authorities added the tantras the modern form of hinduism is exhibited chiefly in the 18 puranas and an equal number of upapuranas minor puranas when we compare the religion embodied in the puranas with that of vedic times we are startled at the magnitude of the change the pantheon is largely new old deities have been superseded other deities have taken their place there has been both accretion from without and evolution from within the 33 gods of the vedas have been fantastically raised to 330 millions shiva durga rama krishna kali unknown in ancient days 
are now mighty divinities indra is almost entirely overlooked and varuna has been degraded from his lofty throne and turned into a regent of the waters the worship of the linga palas has been introduced so has the great dogma of transmigration which has stamped a deeper impress on later hindu mind that almost any other doctrine caste is fully established though in vedic days scarcely if at all recognized the dreadful practice of widow burning has been brought in and this by a most daring perversion of the vedic text woman in fact has fallen far below the position assigned her in early days one of the notable things in connection with the reconstruction of hinduism is the position it gives to the trimurti or trade of gods brahma vishnu and shiva something like an anticipation of this has been presented in the later vedic times fire air and the sun agni vayu and surya being regarded by the commentator as summing up the divine energies but in the vedas the deities often go in pairs and little stress should be laid on the idea of a vedic trade the idea however came prominently forward in later days the worship both of vishnu and shiva may have existed from ancient times as popular rites not acknowledged by the brahmans but both of these deities were now fully recognized the god brahma was an invention of the brahmans he was no real divinity of the people and had hardly ever been actually worshiped it is visual to designate brahma vishnu and shiva as creator preserver and destroyer respectively but the generalization is by no means well maintained in the hindu books the puranas are in general violently sectarian some being vishnuite and others shivite it is in connection with vishnu especially that the idea of incarnation becomes prominent the hindu term is avatara literally descent the deity is represented as descending from heaven to earth for vindication of the truth and righteousness or to use the words ascribed to krishna for the preservation of the good and the destruction of the wicked for the establishment of religion i am born from age to age the descents of vishnu are usually reckoned 10 of these by far the most celebrated are those of rama and krishna the great importance attached to these two deities has been traced to the influence of buddhism that system had exerted immense power in consequence of the gentle and attractive character ascribed to buddha the older gods were dim distant and often stern some near intelligible and loving divinity was longed for buddha was a brother man and yet a quasi deity and hearts longing for sympathy and succor were strongly attracted by such a personality the character of rama or ramachandra is possessed of some high qualities the great poem in which it is described at fullest length the ramayana of valmiki seems to have been an alteration made in the interests of hinduism of early buddhist legends and the buddhist quality of gentleness has not disappeared in the history 
Rama, however, is far from a perfect character. His wife Sita is possessed of much womanly grace and every wifely virtue, and the sorrowful story of the warrior god and his faithful spouse has appealed to deep sympathies in the human breast. The worship of Rama has seldom, if ever, degenerated into lasciviousness. In spite, however, of the charm thrown around the life of Rama and Sita by the genius of Valmiki and Tulsida, it is Krishna, not Rama, that has attained the greatest popularity among the descendants of Vishnu. Very different morally from that of Rama is the character of Krishna. While Rama is but a partial manifestation of divinity, Krishna is a full manifestation. At what a manifestation! He is represented as full of naughty tricks in his youth, although exercising the highest powers of deity, and when he grows up, his conduct is grossly immoral and disgusting. It is most startling to think that this being is by grave writers, like the authors of the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavata Purana, made the highest of the gods, or, indeed, the only real god. Stranger still, if possible, is the probability that the early life of Krishna, in part at least, is a dreadful travesty of the early life of Christ, as given in the apocryphal Gospels, especially the Gospel of the Infancy. The falling off in the apocryphal Gospels, when compared with the canonical, is truly sad. But the falling off, even from the apocryphal ones, in the Hindu books is altogether sickening. A very striking characteristic of modern Hinduism is what is termed bhakti or devotion. There are three great ways of attaining to salvation. Karma marga or the way of ceremonial works, jnana marga or the way of knowledge and bhakti marga or the way of devotion. The notion of trust in the gods was familiar to the mind of India from Vedic days but the deity was indistinct and unsympathetic and there could hardly be love and attachment to him. But there now arose the doctrine of bhakti, devotion, which resolved religion into emotion. It came into Hindu system rather abruptly and many learned men have traced its origin to the influence of Christianity. This is quite possible, but perhaps the fact is hardly proved. Contact with Christianity, however, probably accelerated a process which had previously begun. At all events, the system of bhakti has had and still has great sway in India, particularly in Bengal, among the followers of Chaitanya and the large body of people in western India who style themselves Vaishnavas or Bhaktas devotees. The popular poetry of Maharashtra, as exemplified in such poets as Tukarama, is an impassioned inculcation of devotion to Vitoba of Pandarpur, who is a manifestation of Krishna, into the bhakti system of Western India. Buddhist elements have entered, and the school of devotees is often denominated Bauddha Vaishnava. Along with extravagant idolatry, it inculcates generally, at least in the Maratha country, a pure morality and the later it apparently owes to Buddhism. 
Yet, there are many sad lapses from purity. Almost of necessity, the worship of Krishna led to corruption. The hymns became erotic and movements hopeful at their commencement, like that of Chaitanya of Bengal, in the 16th century, soon grievously fell off in character. The attempt to make religion consistent of emotion without thought, of bhakti without jnana, had disastrous issues. Coincident with the development of bhakti was the exaltation of the guru or religious teacher which soon amounted to deification, a change traceable from about the 12th century AD. When pressed on the subject of Krishna's evil deeds, many are anxious to explain them as allegorical representations of the union between the divinity and true worshippers. But some interpret them in the most literal way possible. This is done especially by the followers of Vallabha Acharya. These men attained a most unenviable notoriety about 20 years ago when a case was tried in the Supreme Court of Bombay which revealed the practice of the most shameful licentiousness by the religious teachers and their female followers and this as a part of worship. The disgust excited was so great and general that it was believed the influence of the sect was at an end, but this hope unhappily has not been realized. Reformers have arisen from time to time in India, men who saw the deplorable corruption of religion and strove to restore it to what they considered purity. Next to Buddha, we may mention Kabir, to whom are ascribed many verses still popular. Probably the doctrine of the unity of God as maintained by the Mohammedans had impressed him. He opposed idolatry, caste and Brahmanical assumption, yet his monotheism was a kind of pantheism. His date may be the beginning of the 15th century. Nanak followed and founded the religion of the Sikhs. His sacred book, The Grant, is mainly pantheistic. It dwells earnestly on devotion, especially devotion to the Guru. The Sikhs now seem slowly relapsing into idolatry. In truth, the history of all attempts at reformation in India has been most discouraging. Sect after sect has successively risen to some elevation about the prevalent idolatry and then gradually, as by some irresistible gravitation, it has sunk back into the mere magnum of Hinduism. If we regard experience, purification from within is hopeless. The struggle for it is only a repetition of the toil of Sisyphus and always with the same sad issue. Deliverance must come from without, from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We mentioned the Tantras as exerting great influence in later days. In this, the worship of Shiva and still more that of his wife is predominant. The deity is now supposed to possess a double nature, one quiescent, one active, the later being regarded as the Shakti or energy of the God, otherwise called his wife. The origin of the system is not fully explained, nor is the date of its rise ascertained. The worship assumes wild, extravagant forms generally obscene, sometimes bloody. It is divided into two schools, that of the right hand and that of the left. The former runs into mysticism 
and magic is complicated observances and the later into the most appalling licentiousness the worship of the shakti or female principle has become a most elaborate system the beings adored are the most outrageous divinities which man has ever conceived sorcery began early in india but it is in connection with this system that it attains to full development human sacrifices are a normal part of the worship when fully performed we cannot go farther into detail it is profoundly saddening to think that such abominations are committed it is still more saddening to think that they are performed as a part of divine worship conscience however is so far alive that these detestable rites are practiced only in secret and few if any are willing to confess that they have been initiated as worshippers we have not yet said much about the ritual of modern days it is exceedingly complicated in the case of the god shiva the rites are as follows when performed by a priest in the temple the brahman first bathes then enters the temple and bows to the god he anoints the image with clarified butter or boiled oil pours pure water over it and then wipes it dry he grinds some white powder mixing it with water dips the ends of his three four fingers in it and draws them across the image he sits down meditates places rice and durva grass on the image places a flower on his own head and then on the top of the image then another flower on the image and another and another accompanying each act with a recitation of sacred spells places white powder flowers bilva leaves incense meat offerings rice plantains and lamp before the image repeats the name of shiva with praises then prostrates himself before the image in the evening he returns washes his feet prostrates himself before the door opens the door places a lamp within offers milk sweet meats and fruits to the image prostrates himself before it locks the door and departs very similar is the worship paid to vishnu the priest bathes and then awakes the sleeping god by blowing a shell and ringing a bell more abundant offerings are made than to shiva about noon fruits roots soaked peas sweet meats etc are presented then later boiled rice fried herbs and spices but no flesh fish or nor fowl after dinner betel nut the god is then left to sleep and the temple is shut up for some hours toward evening curds butter sweet meats fruits are presented at sunset a lamp is brought and fresh offerings made lights are waved before the image a small bell is rung water is presented for washing the mouth face and feet with a towel to dry them in a few minutes the offerings and the lamp are removed and the god is left to sleep in the dark the prescribed worship is not always fully performed still 16 things are essential of which the following are the most important preparing a seat for the god invoking his presence bathing the image clothing it putting the string round it offering perfumes 
flowers, incense, lamps, offerings of fruits, and prepared eatables, betel nut, prayers, circumambulation. An ordinary worshipper presents some of the offerings, mutters a short prayer or two, when circumambulating the image, the rest being done by the priest. We give one additional specimen of the ritual. As an atonement for unwarily eating or drinking what is forbidden, 800 repetitions of the Gayatri prayer should be preceded by the three suppressions of the breath, water being touched during the recital of the following text. The bull roars, he has four horns, three feet, two heads, seven hands, and is borne by a threefold cord. He is the mighty, resplendent being, and pervades mortal men. The bull is understood to be justice personified. All Brahmanical ceremonies exhibit, we may say, ritualism and symbolism run mad. The most prominent and characteristic institution of Hinduism is caste. The power of caste is as irrational as it is unbounded and it works almost unmixed evil. The touch, even the shadow, of a low caste man pollutes. The scriptural precept, honor all men, appears to a true Hindu infinitely absurd. He honors and worships a cow, but he shrinks with honor from the touch of a mahar or mung. Even Brahmins, if they come from different provinces, will not eat together. Thus, Hinduism separates man from man, it goes on dividing and still dividing, and new fences to God, imaginary purity, and continually added. The whole treatment of women has gradually become most tyrannical and unjust. In very ancient days, they were held in considerable respect, but for ages past, the idea of woman has been steadily sinking lower and lower, and her rights have been more and more assailed. The burning of widows has been prohibited by enactment, but the awful right would in many places be restored were it not for the strong hand of the British government. The practice of marrying women in childhood is still generally all but universally prevalent and when, owing to the zeal of reformers, a case of widow marriage occurs, its rarity makes it be hailed as a signal triumph. Multitudes of the so-called widows were never really wives, their husbands so-called having died in childhood. Widows are subjected to treatment which they deem worse than death, and yet their number, it is calculated, amounts to about 21 millions. More cruel and demoralizing customs than exist in India in regard to women can hardly be found among the lowest barbarians. We are glad to escape from dwelling on points so exceedingly painful. End of Reconstruction Modern Hinduism